Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Irrational Hello, Australia. That's right. You are listening to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn Jameson. Today, we are talking with podcast royalty. A lot of you would have known that intro music from a podcast called A Rational Fear. Today, I've got the host, the founder, the all-around good guy, Dan Illich. Welcome to My Millennial Money. Glenn James, it's great to be with you in the My Millennial Money studios here. What, what could be termed the Hollywood Heights of Newcastle? You could say the Hollywood Heights. <laughs> yeah, uh, lots yeah. of boomers, lots of old money. Yeah, and <laughs> lots of people wandering around asking me for 10 cents because they need to get a hit. I love it. I love it. It's a good vibe. So, welcome to My Millennial Money. You're a long-time listener yourself. Yeah, I'm a big fan um, and I have listened to My Millennial Probably, probably since the beginning. I came back from America in 2018 and I had about 15 grand to my name. And it was then I decided I would get serious <laughs> about getting my money in order. I had about 40 grand worth of super uh, and I was an old person in their late 30s going, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> and when you want to get your act together, who do you turn to? Well, I turn to My Millennial Money. Foolishly, I turn to My Millennial Money. <laughs> I always say to people who have listened for a long time, firstly, my apologies. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I want to thank Global X, our show partner to My Millennial Money. You'll hear a bit about Global X every single Thursday. We're so thankful for show partners because they help bring the show to you. So Global X, they provide ETFs. They're domiciled in Australia, which is really important. Global X is formerly ETF Securities, and they've got a variety of different thematic ETFs that you can add to your investment portfolio. To learn more, you can head to globalxetfs.com.au. Thanks, Global X. For those who know, you know. But for those who don't, Dan, your podcast, Irrational Fear, it is an award-winning podcast. The last three years, you've won Comedy Podcast of the Year. Glenn, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, that's yeah. right. A lot of people ask me, they say, Dan, do you have an award-winning podcast? I say, yes, I do. Thank you for bringing it up. And uh, yeah, Irrational Fear, we won the best comedy at the uh, Australian Podcast Awards last three years in a row. I think it's because, you know, quite frankly, you know, Hamish and Andy need to step it up a little bit. Um, Tony Martin, you know, he's getting a bit old in the tooth. Uh, and, you know, Tony and Ryan, sure, they got $5 million from Spotify, but do they have little glass trophies from the Podcast Awards? No. They don't. Yeah. They don't. They don't. Hey, I wasn't at the Podcast Awards last year because uh, that's when I was getting my ankle operated on ah, yeah. in November. Yeah. Now, Simo Interactive, we actually won the Best Publisher Award ah. after SBS. <laughs> <laughs> that is, you got silver. We well, got well silver. Done, well done, yeah. well done. Well, it's funny because... What, what they need is an award for Best Independent Publisher. And Best Everything Else. And who has an extraordinarily good lifestyle business. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like... There was six people in the category, five independent and one SBS. I was just like, what? Yeah, SBS shouldn't be in that. No. no that, anyway. That's, you know, that's so, they suck off the government's teat. Simo, so, so Simo Interactive, best publisher in Australia, 
after, after SBS. SBS. <laughs> yeah, you're going to put that on the sticker, uh, put that on your next book. Yeah, yeah, we might do that. So we are doing a My Money Story with Dan. Before we get into that, jump over and hit subscribe, hit follow to Irrational Fear. Uh, we'll talk about your podcast a little bit later in the episode, sure. but it is a current affairs, comedy, news, activist, woke... <laughs> I've got to have purple hair to listen. Like what? No, we, we just bring comedians and experts to rip into the news and drill down on climate change. That's yeah. kind of the whole show, Irrational Fear, was built around the premise that the media is making us scared of things, mm. um, but they tend to make us scared of all the wrong things. Uh, so back when we started it, 10 years ago, no one was talking about climate change in the media. So we wanted to have a, a comedy podcast that spoke a little bit about climate change. Yeah. So we called it Irrational Fear, almost like a parody of A Current Affair. And so that's when we started it. And 10 years ago in a pub in Sydney, we were streaming over FBI radio at the time, live at, from that pub. And then we went from podcast to broadcast on FBI to broadcast on Radio National. And then I went overseas for a few years and then came back and really hit the po- podcast hard when I came back. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was, um, it's been a, a fun journey. Yeah. So, yeah, if you, love, if, if you like your news, you like it delivered funny uh, and you like smart, funny people in your ear nattering about uh, all things politics and climate change, um, have a listen. It's good fun. Mm. And I'll, I will do a correction. I actually like purple hair. <laughs> <laughs> I think I love my, seeing colour in hair. Can I say my partner said to me, mm. she said, you know, back in 2014, I found mm. this out. We're recording this today on Valentine's Day. Oh, the day after Valentine's yes. Day. She said to me yesterday, she said, you know, when before we were dating, I think in 2013, I swiped right on you on Tinder, but you didn't swipe right on me. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And she said, well, I did have purple hair at the time. I said, well, that's probably why I didn't swipe. Wow. <laughs> How did you end up meeting then? We met on Bumble. <laughs> in 2018. Yeah. <laughs> Five years after. <laughs> oh. We won't talk about... Uh, Anyway, let's move on. So these episodes, as you know, we talk uh, with everyday people about their money story, primarily listeners of My Millennial Money. Uh, They don't have to be listeners. I get a variety of different guests on. But Dan, I don't know how we're going to get into this, but generally speaking, and maybe if you want to pick up, you can talk about your childhood if you want. You can talk about, you know, coming back from America, that moment in your life in 18 where you had to press reset. What were you doing the first kind of into your 20s and early 30s? Were you just flapping around? I was. I didn't really have much of a um, thought about money. Mm. My whole thing was really driving my career. I was like, I'm going to work on being a comedian. I'm going to be a a great TV kind of comedian. I'm going to get a TV show. Once I get that, I could... I can put all my effort into finding how to use the money that I earn. Yeah. Um, but turns out TV in Australia doesn't actually pay you a lot of money. Mm. <laughs> and I was on I was on plenty of TV shows as a kid, um, but not earning money like real money mm. that anyone anyone with a job would consider today as great money. Mm. Um, and and those gigs on TV they last. You know, you see someone on TV, you think they're famous, you think they're rich, but often if someone's working on a TV show. They, stay, they work on a TV show for 13 weeks and then it could be years between the next gig. And that's the kind of life I was, I was, I was living. So I had my first gig in 2006 um, and then... What doing? I did a show called The Ronnie Johns Half Hour on Channel 10. It was like... Never heard of it. It was a sketch comedy show, a very cult sketch comedy show right. on Channel 10. You may know of Heath Franklin's Chopper. Uh, he does a character pretending to be... Uh, 
Chopper. Uncle Chop Chop. Yep. Uh, That came from our show. Right. And then after that I kind of directed a few TV shows but it took until 2009 before I was back on telly again when I did Hungry Beast and then I did Hungry Beast on the ABC, 09, 010, 011 and then did a show called Can of Worms on Channel 10 from about 11 till 12 and then ended up moving to America to find a gig and I got a gig at Al Jazeera for, for a year and then came back to Australia and then went back over to America to got another gig um, working at another, another network over there. So it, it, like, it took me out of the country to find another gig. You know, mm. like it's one of those things where I, I love comedy, I love kind of satire, I love the intersection between comedy, entertainment and, trying to, and doing, saying something about the world. Mm. And I had to leave the country to go and find those opportunities and didn't quite kind of crack it there in a big enough way to kind of um, stay buoyant, came back to Australia, pretty broke. Mm. Um, I, was in a, <laughs> I was in a tricky relationship in LA with someone I didn't enjoy being with. So I saw I've been made redundant and I looked at my bank account and I was like running down the clock on my bank account so I could leave wow. <laughs> to come back. <laughs> so I came back and really started, hit the ground running and, and took over a TV show in Australia called Tonight Leave with Tom Ballard. So I started running that. So I was the boss of that show for a year mm. and that was great. Well, that would have been some good consistent income then. It was good for a year, yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd never been on a show which lasted more than 13 weeks prior because that's just the way TV works in Australia. Like 13 weeks and you're done and if you get recommissioned, that's great, you get another 13. Um, but this was a show that was on every night for a year. So that was great and that allowed me to kind of just kind of take a breath and then work on the next thing. And the next thing happened to be being sponsored for my podcast. Mm. Um, and that was lucky. So I got a fellowship for two years and that paid for the podcast for two years. Wow. And it meant I could really accelerate the podcast and the podcast grew and the Patreon from that grew and then the podcast has such energy around it now that, you know, it's a pretty small podcast, you know, six to 10,000 listeners. Um, but people stop me in the street and want to talk about it. People, you know, message me out of the blue wanting to know more information about this topic or get this guest on and that's mm. really a really fun engagement. You Are know? you sick of people saying, get Glenn James on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Just get him on there. Oh, we need to talk about interest rates. Interest rates. Oh, God, we need to talk about ETFs. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, it's all, all well and good. But if I do go there growing up, what was childhood like? What was family life? Like you know, I had a pretty lucky life. Um, my my family is quite unique. Every family is unique. My mm. family is unique in the way that my father was quadriplegic, is quadriplegic, he's still alive, and my mum looked after him all of our life. But also, mum had four kids, four boys to look after as well. So wow. that was the unique aspect about it. But to me, it wasn't anything different. Like it was. I didn't know if I was missing out on anything because dad was pretty good and and he was a lawyer and he he, he ran his small business from home and seeing mum mum and dad run that business was kind of, I guess, comforting for me because I run a small business myself. I run a small podcast what, business. What's What was the nature of dad's injury? When he was 21, he, uh, he was in a training accident with the army. He was in the army reserves and he was in a training accident in Lithgow and he was in a convoy with one truck, truck rolled over and the truck behind um, them rolled over and the next truck came along and ran over everyone who fell out of that second truck. And the dad was in that second truck. Uh, so everyone who was in that accident with dad has long since passed and dad's like the only one that's still going. Gosh. And I think that's due to mum. 
And mm-hmm. so mum, mum and dad met um, when dad was in hospital at Concord Hospital at the re- repatriation hospital. You mean All Saints? <laughs> yes, at the All Saints, All Saints Hospital. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, my friend Virginia Gay, who works at All Saints Hospital, uh, she would recognise that place too. Yes, uh, in Concord Hospital and mum was a nurse on that level and dad chatted up mum and then... Um, they Ooh. fell in love, and we'll we'll let the uh, <laughs> professional ethics issue slide there with mum. <laughs> yeah, just this once, <laughs> just this once. Yeah, statue limitations. Yeah, yeah. Mum wow. should sue. Yeah. yeah. Now, like growing up with dad being in a wheelchair, effectively, I guess you could say that. Yeah, for a large part. Yeah. Um, of my life, he was, he was in a wheelchair. Probably from when I was about fourteen, he he could walk. He was a partial quad, so he could mm. walk in the 80s with a wall or with someone. And then mm. for convenience, he started using a gopher, like an electric wheelchair yeah. um, scooter. And then he was darting around the city on a gopher and then gradually his mobility got less and less. So that old adage, if you want to keep moving it, you've got to keep moving it, you know. Um, which we could all learn from. Which we could all learn from, yeah. So still dad was getting older, but so moving to the chair was was the thing that probably sped his decline up, you know. So question, like... Growing up with a parent who has a disability, did that shape your view of the world in the activist? Because you're an activist at heart or as a hobby or like there is something there that you want to stand up for something because that thing, that issue, that person, I, I don't know. Like, do you get what I'm saying? Did it? Yeah, I don't know. I feel I feel weird about, I don't know. I don't define myself as an activist. Right. But I certainly, I mean, I define myself as a comedian. But give me a microphone and I'll tell you what I think about something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's how I, mm. that's kind of how I operate. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess so. Dad, I think more than anything, dad being a solicitor was what turned my eye to justice. And also my mum, mm. um, heavily involved in charities and St. Vincent de Paul and things like that. Mm. So as a kid, dad would have lots of people come through his office, which was our home mm. of all walks of life. And dad would be up all night helping them do stuff, navigate Australia, particularly immigrants like from Iran and Vietnam and uh, Yugoslavia where dad's parents are from, particularly in the 90s. Mm. And you'd have all these strange people come through the house and they would be his clients that he would look after um, for a, a cheap rate as opposed to his other clients. Mm. And fascinating these 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 people who'd come out to Australia to make a new life and I think dad as an immigrant himself a post-war immigrant himself kind of saw that opportunity to kind of help these people navigate their way through Australia um and then well probably seeing and hear like seeing those people one hearing the stories that dad would say would have an impact hugely yeah I think so yeah I mean like because you know me starting this podcast in 2018 I'm talking to people almost on a weekly basis that if I didn't do the podcast, I wouldn't be talking with an immigrant <laughs> from wherever or I wouldn't yeah. be talking to people who are going through adversity that I wouldn't go through. So categorically and thank the Lord that some of the early episodes don't appear anywhere anymore, like I'm a different person yeah. because of the experience that I've had with other people. Yeah. I think that is correct, yeah. And I think also when through mum and dad, their sense of values has meant if something is fucked, I need to go, oh, that's fucked. Mm. And when stuff is fucked, we need to just call it out. Mm. And I kind of had a moment in 2019, I went to this 
Obama Foundation Leadership Conference in Kuala Lumpur. Um, Are you seeing Barack when he comes to Sydney? Uh, uh, it's, it's very expensive. It's like fifteen hundred bucks. I know. Or I thought, yeah, thousand dollars. I'm not, not going to pay. I've seen him talk before. Yeah, <laughs> I've been in the same room as Barack Obama. No, no big deal. Um, Your LinkedIn says I've shared the stage. With- <laughs> well. I mean, I was in the audience yeah. uh, and I saw the stage. Yeah. We had a shared experience. I was at the tennis with Bill Gates. We've been in the same <laughs> at the same event. My LinkedIn says the same event as Bill Gates. Anyway, sorry. And I think I, I think my my activist kind of brain switched on at that event because I went to this great corporate training event about power and how we all have power and the nine different types of power we can use to get things done. And it was a real aha moment mm. where the convener, uh, Tong Yi, just gave this incredible, he's a Singaporean corporate trainer. He's a real gun, really lovely guy, super vulnerable, very smart and funny gentleman. Uh, just unlocked these nine things. And it's like, oh, fuck, like we're all pretty powerful in our own right. We just don't know how to use our power in a way to be effective. And so... Uh, some folks may know me from putting billboards in New York City last year. Yeah, talk to uh, us about that. It's a shaming, shaming uh, Australia's climate change. So coming up to COP26 in Glasgow, the big climate talks, uh, I'd been following climate change for a long time. I'd went to the, the Paris climate talks. I, I worked there for two weeks doing shows out of there and I'd been following climate for a long time. And at this point, Scott Morrison wasn't going to go to Glasgow, um, which I thought was a real travesty because, like, this was going to be one of the big marquee years for um cop. And so I decided to buy a, glad, uh, buy a billboard in Glasgow for $12,000 just to put up, uh, if I can't go to Glasgow because of COVID lockdowns and because, you know, someone in the government forgot to reply to emails from Pfizer, I thought, well, I'll buy a billboard and I'll get my audience to pay for it. And so I put up, I put up a crowdfunding page and encouraged my audience to pay, you know, $12,000 to help me get these three billboards up in Glasgow. Um, and I hit go on the campaign at 6 a.m. Uh, in, like, the, the day I put it up and then at 8 a.m. I got $12,000. Wow. <laughs> and the money kept rolling in and, and it was so astonishing and I wouldn't have done that had I not been at that conference, you know, six months before learning about how to use my own power. <laughs> Refresh my – because I, I absolutely remember this before we kind of knew each other even, like – it was the, was it the burning with the kangaroo yeah, or something? Yeah, it had a kangaroo burning and it, and it said uh, Australia net zero by uh, 2300. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that'd be really funny because, you know, the, the, the catchphrase is net zero by 2030. People might think it's a typo, but the reality is it's got a kangaroo burning. So, you know, these, at, these billboards weren't for anyone to take seriously. They were, for, they were for people in Glasgow to laugh at Australia because Australia has this reputation as a worldwide pariah when it comes to climate action. We're up there with Russia and Saudi Arabia as the worst actors at these climate talks because we are, we make our money off fossil fuels. You know, it's it's a huge export for us. Um, you mean black gold. Black gold, yeah. <laughs> and But as a result, we are like the second largest exporter of emissions in the world. So like we are, we talk about, we talk a big game when it comes to the environment, but realistically we are, we're one of the worst because you know, it's that old adage, uh, uh, coal doesn't kill people, uh, people kill people and people overseas who buy our coal are killing people. <laughs> so it's a it's a strange thing where, you know, we've got to drastically, you know, the, what we have to do is drastically change the way we make business and make money in this country. Um, so Scott Morrison wasn't going to go to Glasgow. So I wanted to get these billboards up to just to, to not make fun of Scott Morrison from not going, but just to point out to people 
in the international community that the people that represent us in Glasgow don't necessarily represent Australians' point of view. So that was the intent, was like Scott Morrison doesn't represent us, Australians know, know what the fuck is going on and we're not happy about it. Mm. And then the money just kept rolling in. So I ended up raising $160,000, $190,000. Then I had needed more billboards and I needed bigger billboards. So I, bit, I booked the biggest billboard in Times Square and we, 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 did it, we did it at dusk and I invited like 200 Australians from, from New York to get down to Times Square. They all RSVP'd on Facebook and they all filmed it and put it up on the internet and, uh, you know, Russell Crowe, texted Jake Tapper to tell me to get on his show and Jake Tapper got me on his show because of Russell Crowe. Wow. <laughs> and uh, it was just phenomenal, like phenomenal pressure. Um, like the story went everywhere all around all around the world. It was in Greek TV and Serbian TV and, uh, and you know, it was on Crooked Media podcasts and it was great to have like the Crooked Media boys talk about mm. us applying pressure to Scott Morrison. And then Scott Morrison, uh, four hours after those billboards went up, decided he was going to go to Glasgow. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> and he said, no, no, we decided last night we would go. No, oh, no. They were always no, going, no, we were Dan. Always go Gosh, can he back off? He was and always we going. We decided last night yeah. before, the, before those billboards went up. So you've had like some wild experiences. Like if we take it back to, you know, leaving the nest and leaving home, what was money like in your household? Was there any memory or defining moments where, like for me it was, Mum and dad would never have a credit card. Right. You don't have the money, you don't pay for it. And that was just drilled into me. Yeah, I think there was there was a lot of that. And I remember as a kid growing up asking mum for stuff and mum saying no. For some reason, like I remember as a kid things being really tight. And then by the time my parents sold their house, uh, you know, my parents definitely weren't very tight. <laughs> and it was like, oh, there was, there was a real period there when we were like, we were operating on a shoestring. Mm. Um, but by the time, you know, I'm, by the time where all the kids were adults, like mum and dad were living the good life. I assume that's just what's called being a boomer. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, definitely like getting loans and stuff, we were kind of drilled into us that we, it was something we, we didn't do. We, if you didn't have the money, you definitely couldn't buy it. And for some reason, mum would always, mum was the money person because dad never really touched money because he has a, he's like disassociated with anything to do with the business because mum ran the business. Right. He did the law and mum did the business. And mum would always kind of poo the idea of investing in the stock market and just in her comments. So I was always shy on that. I never, I was never, I was always scared of that because uh, it would, I would lose money or something like that or, or she would hear somebody would invest, you know, a certain amount of money in this stock and she'd go, why would they do that, you know. But now I kind of think differently about it and, you know, when I came back from America and I was poor, I kind of set up a whole bunch of systems mm. um, that I managed my money better. Uh, up until I came back from America, which is like my late 30s, I didn't really have a bucket system. I didn't really know where money went. Money just went into this giant pile and I didn't have money even set aside for my tax. It was one of those things that I'd never thought about. Money just went in one account. And it just was there. Mm. And I just didn't even consider setting up a different accounts for different things. What's your relationship to debt? I'm very debt adverse. So I don't have any, I don't have any consumer debt. Um, my partner has a, has a home loan and I, I chip into that sometimes. Is that where you're living? No. Okay. It's a, it's a different house. So you're renting where you live? Yeah. 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 And every time I pay rent, 
these days. I'm like, why the fuck are they red? <laughs> every every two weeks, I'm like, again, I just paid you two weeks ago. It's, so it's, it's like well, it's savage, isn't it? And so it's got. I'm kind of at the point now where I'm I'm kind of you know I feel very old, Glenn. Mm. I'm 41. Oh. You're done. <laughs> yeah, no. Out and, to pasture. And it's like, do I even bother buying a house? Like at this point, do I just, you know? So it's kind of one of those things where it's mm. like, I've got a, I finally got a house deposit. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm like, I don't know if I. But interesting, I like you obviously live with your partner. Like, how long have you been with your partner? Four, five years now. Five years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, there's, you know, and I'm asking on behalf of a friend, quote unquote, <laughs> but like. Getting a partner a little bit later in life, what was that transition like from, well, I've done my own thing for the last 15 years. Yeah. And now I'm going wholesale into this partnership. How has that been with your money values and the way that you live and all that? Pretty good. I mean, she's a professional, so she has her assets and I've got, you know, my my pile. (laughs) Um, But it's, we're pretty good at managing things. She doesn't need you. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> she absolutely doesn't need me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've been going through uh, uh, some health stuff lately, so we're we're putting money into into that, mm. and it's worked out. You know, it works out pretty well. Like, because I see it now is when we have to pay a big thing together. If I've got to pay it, or whoever's got the money has to whoever whoever's got the money can pay it at the mm. time. It's an investment for both of us. So, yeah, it's a big it's a big mind shift. And to be honest, if she's listening to this right now, I didn't think about that probably until about two years into the relationship. Right. So now I'm, you know, I'm investing in us now. But that's the nature of human behaviour and habit, right? Like you can't change a habit or behaviour overnight. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, when she met me, I was a, I was a complete financial mess. She took mm. a big risk on me. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have any debt. I just didn't have any money. (laughs) Like, you know, in all my rants, you know, if you get to the point, you know, I I talk about like when people are in their 20s, right? If you get out of your 20s, you know, you're age 29.99, almost about to tick over to 30, right? If you've got no consumer debt and $1 in the bank and at that point you're ready to pull the trigger and start your life, quote unquote, and, you know, get serious, awesome. Great. So I did that at um, 39. Yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm killing it on the Glenn James yeah. timeline. But you imagine, and this is the whole thing with why I crap on about consumer debt, when we get to these moments of like, okay, I need to now get my life in order and all that stuff, if you want to make that decision and then you've still got consumer debt, how annoying is that? You've, you've made this decision that I need to make this change. I'm going to do this. Oh, damn it. I can't do it for three years because I've got all that debt. Yeah, yeah. So oh, no, I think that's... Um, really good advice and I think I feel very fortunate that I've been adverse to getting credit cards. Mm. The only debt that I really had in my 20s was my HEX and I gradually paid that off um, and I was fortunate enough when I bought my first car when I was 23 to get a personal loan from my family mm. so I could pay that off and pay my mum back for that. So, um, look, I'm very fortunate when it, when it comes to growing up um, to have access to money when I needed it mm. um, but I was also just so aware that, a credit card would get me in trouble because mm. I have a very addictive personality and I know that that would be uh, an error. On we, my are, we are the same person. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, 
Glenn James and I have just met up and we're wearing uh, black T-shirts, uh, light shorts and white kicks. And and we've both <laughs> had the same ankle surgery. We just had both <laughs> ankle surgery on our left ankles. We both have, uh, some of us have, award. one of us has an award-winning podcast. <laughs> One of us has a best in Australian network after SBS. Uh, uh, no, it's it's good. Were there any, like looking back at your life, even, you know, between 20 and now, so the last, what, 40 years, uh, Jesus. were there any defining aha moments for you? Yeah, like probably like only about, you know, f- five years ago, did I get serious about money? Mm. Because I'm a sole trader, I never really managed my money correctly. I built out a spreadsheet in Google Docs. It's my income spreadsheet and it's I've split it into two. And so I've got a PAYG section and a invoice section. And as soon as money comes in, I look at how much money came comes in and I plug it into the invoice and my spreadsheet works out where that money goes. And immediately, the, the aha moment for me was as soon as I get paid, I plug in how much I get paid. I, I move my tax to a tax, I call it folder. Yeah. I move my tax to a tax folder. I move my savings to a savings folder. I move my, I just move my money. Mm. Um, let me just bring it up. So, yeah, so do it. it. And while you bring that up, like Dan has the best money system in Australia because it works for him. Just have a system that works for you and your circumstances. Yeah, so it's, it's called my income tax calculator. Awesome. And uh, it works out my tax withholding and I put it at 37%. My super, I put that at 12.5%. My savings at 15% and then the remaining, that goes into my wages. Mm. So whenever I get an invoice paid, I immediately split that money up and separate it straight away. And then with PAYG, I sometimes get paid PAYG through different clients. Um, So I have a personal project at 10%, so whatever that might be, um, a super at 12%, um, uh, savings at 15%. Mortgage at ten percent, and the remaining goes into my wages. So, and I've actually written out instructions on how to do it mm. because folks, I sometimes meet. I oh t- wow! I'm looking at that. What five million dollars? <laughs> no, no, no it just, it's just it's yeah. just per invoice. It's, there's no there's no calculation there. Five million dollars, oh. mate. I look. One of the benefits of being um, winning silver in the best publisher is that you make a lot of money. So you. <laughs> You and, the, you and SBS are raking it in. Oh, we, we really are. <laughs> but it's one of those things where I've actually written down instructions about what I do with each folder mm. or what I do with each account um, because I sometimes meet folks who were like me mm. or who are, were like me in, you know, 2018, clueless, mm. and they're like, oh, God, I just haven't kept up with my tax. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, let me copy and paste this spreadsheet for you yeah. and just do it every time and it'll give you – the structure you need. So every quarter you're not panicking about bass. Every year you're not panicking about your income tax. You got the money there. You know how much you got and you're not messing around. You know what I like about your system? Do you want to know? <laughs> I assume that was rhetorical. Well, no. You, I thought I'd let it hang no, in no, the air. No, no, don't let it hang. You could say, I don't care what you think, Glenn, or what you Let's like. Let's try that again. Go. <laughs> I'll feed you a line. How about <laughs> yeah, great, that? Great. Do you know what I like about your system? That it's in English? Uh, that. <laughs> But secondly, as a sole trader, right, you've got no legal requirement to pay retirement savings. That's it. But you have chosen that I will put 12.5% aside because there are so many sole traders 
that eat their retirement savings. A hundred percent. And that's what I discovered when I came back from America. Yeah. was like, wow, I'd been a sole trader for 15 years, but I hadn't actually been paying myself super. Mm. So the reason why my super is kicking around at $40,000 for 10 years is because I haven't been paying myself. Mm. So I really had to supercharge my super. I'm like, mm. in 20 years, I'm going to be dead. Well, mm. I'm going to be retiring. Mm. I, need to, I need to pump that hard. So I was lucky enough to do a few ads and stuff like that, which pay really good money. So I would- Have I, you been intentional with catch up or to try and get it up to an absolutely, amount? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So like it's around 200 now. Yeah, I was going to say, I think most full-time workers in their early 40s should have around, there's no shoulds, but if you want to target everyone, yeah. maybe around that 160 to 200-ish. That's, so that's where I'm at now. Yeah. But it's taken like, I've taken a haircut on a lot of things to get mm. to that point. And I don't live, I don't live a big life and I, I rent a small pokey place. But how funny is this in terms of the psychology of it? The fact that each time you get paid, you're just putting 12.5% aside, the year goes on and you haven't missed it. That's it. Yeah, and you're paying, you're looking after yourself in the future mm. and that's what you need that money for. Who's your super with? Uh, I'm such a hypocrite. You know, <laughs> I talk a lot about climate change. I talk a lot about, um, you know, fossil fuels. Uh, my super is with Host Plus. Uh, they are one of the dirtiest supers in Australia. I'm actually moving my super to Australian Ethical. Mm. So they are a sponsor of my show currently. <laughs> oh, I was leading you a bone there. <laughs> Um, so I'm actually going to move, uh, I think 50 grand of my super over. Interestingly, let me tell you this. Mm. If you move 50 grand Mm. of your super to an ethical super fund or a a fund that doesn't invest in fossil fuels, you can actually reduce your own personal carbon footprint by about two tons a year, Really, which is huge. So you don't have to move all your super. You can move a certain amount. Yeah. But if you're going to move it, you wouldn't. You you just just move move the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, Just move the whole thing. Why don't you move your whole thing? I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good. What, you know, on Triple J when, you know, you can call Dr. Carl. Yeah. I want to actually know, I'm going to call Dr. Carl one day and ask, you know, like carbon offsets and all that stuff. Uh If, for example, um, you know, they talk about like the celebrities with their private jets. Yeah. Okay. I want to know, just because I'm a visual learner, if I flew my private jet, I'll take you for a drive one day, um, a flight, <laughs> I don't have a private jet. If I, if I took a, a flight on a private jet yeah. for an hour, mm. okay, Sydney to Melbourne private jet, yeah. what square meterage or football field would trees need to be to offset that and for how long? Is it five football fields full of trees for an hour, like what's the actual visual yeah. offset required? Because when I buy a flight and, you know, with Qantas or whatever. And you pay 30 cents. I'll pay 30 <laughs> cents to save the planet. I'm annoyed because they don't bury it in the tax invoice. I've no, got its no, personal it's expense. Separate, yeah. But like, yeah, what's the actual thing? Yeah. And uh, could Taylor Swift just buy a farm? She could. And just have trees and go, stuff you all, I'm offsetting my flights. I'll okay. do what I want. Okay, here's a couple of things. So let's have a break first and we'll come back and we'll have a rant. <laughs> okay. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, we're back. I just had to pay the light bill. (laughs) Uh, Well, here's a couple of things, right? When it comes to carbon offsets, carbon offsets... They should be called guilt offsets right? Uh, because all you're doing is you're absolving your own personal guilt about how many molecules you're burning to live your life. There's good carbon offsets and there's bad carbon offsets. For folks who watch Four Corners recently, they will see that there's a huge scheme which is completely fraudulent <laughs> and doesn't actually do much. So when you are carbon offsetting, largely most of those carbon offsets involve what you mentioned, planting trees. And the idea is that those trees will grow, will draw down the carbon and store it in the trees. That's okay. Sounds that, good. Sounds good. That is what's called volatile carbon offsetting because mm. it's volatile because I don't know if you know, Glenn, the carbon in trees can be burnt. Like the moment there's a bushfire, mm. that carbon is released back into the atmosphere. The best way to, to make sure there's no carbon in the atmosphere is to not dig it up and burn it. <laughs> that, right. is, that is the number one thing you can do. Right. Um, this, this carbon offsetting can work if they're high-quality carbon offsets. So you need to do some research to figure out. If, you're, if the carbon offsets you are buying are high quality or if they are just... So some of these like tick at the checkout to offset my flight could be a somewhat greenwashing tokenism. Exactly, yeah. Right. And it's like... A, like it's I'm a, sure it goes somewhere and helps, sure. but what's the impact? Sure, it's a, it's a corporation ticking mm. their box to say that they're sustainable, right? Mm. Um, I wrote this piece about a major company that I did some work for over the last month. Uh, they're a big ERP software company. Basically the company... Uh, greases the wheels of capitalism in 70% of every dollar spent in the world. And at this event, they had their CEO give a wonderful speech saying, and he had this amazing gaffe. He said this, he said, we are looking forward to working with our customers to accelerate climate change. And I thought that is fantastic. (laughs) I love that. He didn't mean to say that. He meant to say climate action. Um, uh, or working with them to eliminate climate change, which is great. Um, but he didn't say that. He said, accelerate climate change. And later on in the day, they had this wonderful presentation about how green this company was, followed by a wonderful presentation about how uh, their top four companies for their cloud services include Rio Tinto, Yan Coal, uh, Santos, and uh, oh, sorry, Woodside Petroleum, and uh, South 32. And so it was amazing. It's like, well, if you're saying how green your company is and then your software is being used to accelerate the extraction, sale and burning of fossil fuels, 
that's not particularly green. Here's two things you can do. You can charge a carbon premium. Give them, uh, ask them for 10% more than you're charging your other customers and put that, put that discount into customers who are uh, carbon neutral. Uh, and you could also give them a sunset timeline, say, well, in five years, you're going to have to stop using our software because uh, we, can't ha- we can't afford to have you on the books. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, they chucked, us, they chucked us back. They weren't even named <laughs> in, that, in that article. Gosh. <laughs> and they were threatening lawyers, so they I so I took it off my LinkedIn. Wow, <laughs> um, gosh! But uh, you know, it didn't last very long. But it was just one of those things where uh, the uh, outright hypocrisy of the system means that what companies should be doing is knowing where their power lies mm. to be able to change things for the better. So if your company does touch 70% of every dollar, then you can charge a carbon premium and mm. then you can give people who are, then it's like carrot and stick, right? You mm. create your own carbon market within your own economy. Um, it's totally possible to do mm. and you don't have to be, you have, there's no compliance needed. You just show leadership. Yeah. That's what that is. That is standing up and going, oh, we're going to do better. My, like, I, I've probably come a, a bit of a way, like my philosophy was, um, call it five, six, seven, ten years ago, as long as China and India are on the planet, why should we bother doing anything? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the drop in the ocean, stuff like that. However, the more I thought about this stuff, Australia is like, I'm just looking here, one, two, three, four, five, six, like seventh in the world GDP. There is that question of leadership. And with a lot of different social things, right, and other, like we might look to another country for what they're doing that's radical in education because they've tried that. Oh, it's working. We can do that as well. So yep. I just think it is a leadership thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a leadership thing. Like, and it's so hard. It's so hard to do because a lot of our economy is underpinned by it. But what the reality is, is that the earth can't take any more new coal and gas projects. The International Energy Agency has said this and they're not some wokest leftist organisation. It's the International Energy Agency. Their headquarters is in Switzerland. <laughs> like these are Germans who don't muck around. Um, and they have said, you know, the earth can't, you know, take any more of mm. new coal and gas projects and we need to rapidly move out of these. Call me a righty boomer, but why isn't, <laughs> nuclear a serious consideration on the table? Um, maybe it should be. You know? Yeah. Um, right now in Australia, it is so expensive. Yeah. So to develop nuclear, to make nuclear and to distribute nuclear and to deal with post-processing of nuclear, it's heinously expensive. So right now, dollar for dollar, uh, nuclear I think is like 30 cents per kilowatt right. or 50 cents per kilowatt um, and with solar and wind, you're looking at five cents per kilowatt. Yeah, okay. So it's like it's it's a co- it's seriously a cost. Cost like benefit, yeah. Yeah, like you could you could rapidly accelerate solar and wind, backed with storage um, batteries. So when they say solar and wind doesn't cater for the base load power, is that right wing boomer talk? It is. Yeah. So base load is coal industry talk for because yeah. um, batteries would solve that. Batteries solve it. Yeah, and we yeah. see that in South Australia yeah. with, with the battery backup system. Yeah. And there's this really super interesting experiment run by a lot of big energy companies at the moment with community-based batteries. So every few streets they'll have a smaller battery and they will be feeding in clean electricity from the houses to these community I saw that community on, batteries. Yeah, I saw that on the um, on 7.30 a few weeks ago. I think they did a, a story about it. Yeah, and there, there's more of those growing. So Energy Australia are looking at pole-based batteries 
big batteries that sit on street poles. Australia has the biggest adaption in rooftop solar yeah. in the world, I mm-hmm. think, yeah, for, is, yeah. for homes. Yeah, and yeah. so that's that's extraordinary. Mm. Um, and then the other thing is transport of electricity. So currently the grid is really inefficient and it's really only um, made for one-way simplex transmission mm. of electricity. So what folks are really working hard on right now is something called digital grids mm. uh, and virtual power plants. And the this Labor government has invested in the last budget tons of money into making those grids smarter to be able to send and receive electricity um, from a, a disparate array of sources uh, to where it's needed quicker. And that's exciting. So one of the one of the fascinating things is Australia is this big place, right? And so if you know, if it's sunny on one side of the country and it's not sunny on the other, you can you can push electricity to where wherever it is needed. So with enough solar, with enough wind, you can have this amazing distributed electricity system mm. where you where you don't have to worry about if the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing, oh, how do we get electricity? Mm. That's my Peter Dutton impression. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so you don't have to worry about that. So it's it's where the really interesting fun, well, I say fun, yeah, yeah, yeah. fun part in electricity solving that problem. So the electricity problem in Australia, so the, let me just clearly back up for yeah. emissions. Biggest emissions uh, problem is electricity production. Um, that's huge emissions. Then the next is transport and the next is agriculture. So the electricity problem is slowly being solved and the, the emissions from electricity is slowly going down because of the rapid development of renewables, not just in Australia but everywhere. And then transport's the next problem. So electrifying transport is going to be the next big problem and then um, electrifying airlines is going to be hard. Uh, and well, it's the weight thing. The weight is, the weight, yeah. Yeah, the weight is just too hard at the moment. But for smaller planes, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then SAF is something sustainable airline fuel is something that folks are working on, but it could be a, a just a delay in distraction mm. from actual alternatives. Um, and then agriculture is going to be a real toughie. So that's methane emissions. You may have heard about the miracle seaweed feed that uh, cows can eat to reduce their methane. No. So maybe I need some myself. Yeah. So there's awesome seaweed farmers. Wow. And what they're doing is they're they're building seaweed. Uh, feed for cattle and livestock and they've worked out that by feeding seaweed to cattle and livestock, it reduces their methane emissions by like 80%. So wow. it's it's extraordinary kind of- Ag tech, we call it. Ag tech, yeah. So there are these problems that are slowly being solved one, one by one. The electricity one is well on the way. Mm. There's often, and I know everyone will talking about uh, Dan's money story, but you get the vibe of what he's about and- <laughs> Just yeah, a I'm chat. a comedian, by the way, so I'm really fun. I really hope you found that extremely, yeah. extremely hilarious, <laughs> extremely hilarious and, conversation and about emissions. Probably, and everyone's probably like, this is supposed to be a money podcast. What are you doing? And if you're still listening, thank you. And if you stop listening after the break, that's okay because we've already served up the ads. Um, but interestingly, like you hear the thing about let the market do it, government needs to do intervention. It can be both. Like that ag tech thing. Yeah, that wasn't a government agency mandated thing. It was someone as a, as going an entrepreneur. Yes, and they've—I mean—they they get money from the CSIRO and government funding from time yep. to time. But that's somebody cracking a, a problem and being really smart with mm. it. Um, mm. And if that solution can be scaled, that's the exciting thing. Mm. So what government needs to do is kind of encourage people to take that up, and they can do that through carrot and stick. You know, uh, any other big issues that you want to solve in the last ten minutes? Uh, in the last time, I've got a wedgie, so I'll yeah. need to stand up and yeah. you know, work that out yeah. uh, myself. <laughs> yeah, you need to do that. 
No. So, so we, okay, so just because I do want to talk about your show and the tour you've got coming up, but just to bring it home with your own money. Yeah. You're putting super aside, you're saving, you're a bit cash heavy at the moment for the home deposit, yeah. medical stuff or whatever. Are you doing any other, I'll, I'll call it superficial investing? Like do you have a little ETF or? I do. I do. So I've got my spaceship. Oh, I've got, that uh, would have had a ding in the oh, last. If you have a look at it, it's pretty shocking. Why did you choose spaceship? To start with, I, I I just like to doing these live autopsies. I don't know why. I just saw it and it looked like an easy thing mm. to do. And for the first three years of doing it, I was like, "This is awesome!" I'm going to the moon, I baby. Am, I am crushing it. Diamond hands. And then the last two years, I was like, "Whoa!" Thirty percent knocked out of it, so I took all of it out wow. and it started again. So I put about a hundred bucks a week in it. Yeah. Um. Now uh, after like. Culling it. I was like, can I take that money out? Mm. That's going in the house deposit. Yeah. So that's now up to about 10 grand. Yeah. Um, so I don't really worry about it. And I have a superhero uh, account. Oh, are you superhero? Yeah. So, so why would you not just use superhero, for example? Why Why do both? Uh, well, I started out with Spaceship. Sure. And it was just an easy set and forget. And what are you investing in with superhero? I invest in things I'm passionate about. Yeah. So I buy a lot of green tech. I buy a lot of... Um, critical minerals like lithium and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, do you do that via ETFs or direct? I do it direct for the companies I'm reading up about sure. or come across. Yeah. Um, or I might interview the CEO and be like, oh, fuck, I'll put, I'll put, I'll put <laughs> yeah. 200 bucks in that guy. I like all these guys on it. Yeah. This guy's smart. Yeah. Uh, this woman's smart. I'll drop money in that. And I've got some money in like Vanguard yep. in Superhero as well. I did buy a whole stack of AGL shares mm-hmm. in Superhero so I could vote. Yep. on the board stuff yep. as an activist investor and that worked out great. So um, I was so surprised. I don't know how much money I had in – I think I might have had 800 bucks of AGL shares but it reached a point where they were sending me emails to vote in the AGM and I'm like, great, awesome. I can actually affect yeah. radical change yeah. for Australia's emissions. Yeah. And um, it was a really great result. So, Do you think the individual can move the needle? Um, so there's – I mean – there's a few things you can do as an individual, like knowing where your power is. Mm. So being an AGL shareholder, you can move the needle. So mm. um, by getting a climate activist, a climate active board in AGL, that is 8% of Australia's emissions. That is, that's huge. So if you can pivot that company radically to be a renewable energy only company and they close down their coal, coal plants, that is that is megatons of, mm. of emissions that will no longer be in the atmosphere. And all this conversation is about climate change mm. is putting molecules of trapped sunlight from rocks and burning it and putting it in the sky. The less we could do of that, then the better the planet will be. That's it. You don't need to, anything else to I, know about. Okay. The ozone layer, it's closing. That's good, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. Did we do that or was it? So we did that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm talking on behalf of humanity yeah, here, of, well, of course. We opened it and we closed it. Yeah. You know, it's just it's like, an open shut case. You know, it's like Ghostbusters when they open the portal and yes. then they close yeah. it again. Yeah. So back in the 90s, HFCs. Oh, uh, the, like the um, polystyrene type? Uh, no. Gases in canisters. Yes. Uh, in refrigerants and stuff like that. Uh, it was deemed that these were bad for the ozone layer and so uh, there was worldwide policy to get rid of these gases. We got rid of those gases and the ozone layer is slowly repairing. The only problem was it's right above our head. <laughs> That's it, yeah. And uh, I got my ozone melanoma on my leg cut uh, out. Oh, no. Well, you you know, there is one difference between you and me is I'm a lot browner than you. Yeah. So <laughs> the melanin protects me a little yeah. bit. So, like, that's, uh, that's an example of where global policy on 
environmental issues has worked mm. to a large degree, um, whereas everything else is a little bit more polemic because the fossil fuel industry has the whole world's economies captured. Mm. You know, and at the moment with the war in Ukraine, they're using it as a great excuse to make crazy super profits. So it's it's a weird it's a weird place to be where the whole world is kind of beholden to a few companies. Yeah, I actually saw or heard, and this could be wrong, but go with me. Europe is paying Russia a billion dollars a day for energy, which is basically paying for the war. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm not yeah. too sure. Yeah, yeah, anyway, it's wild. I yeah, I don't know. I mean, they, Ukraine and Europe re- were heavily reliant on gas from Russia. From Russia, yeah. Um, for so long. So, but across last winter, I know Europe was very good at storing gas yeah. and keeping keeping gas stored and because they had quite a mild winter that actually didn't need all the gas they stored. Okay, so coal bad, natural gas good-er? No, no, natural gas worse for a shorter period of time. Right. So coal emissions, emissions from coal bad and they last for about 150 years in the atmosphere. Yep. So right now there's particles in the atmosphere that have that were burned 150 years ago. Wow. And still in the atmosphere from the choo-choo trains of yesteryear. Wow. Um, but gas... Uh, from methane, so which is natural gas, it's methane. It's 88% more potent as a greenhouse gas, so it traps a lot more heat in the atmosphere, but for a shorter period, for about 12 years. So it's much more intense for a shorter period of time. Um, so uh, your, the gas from your stir-fry is still up in the atmosphere from last night, but the gas from your stir-fry from 20 years ago is no longer around. So it's, um, uh, it's bad, mm. yeah. People will say it's good because it doesn't burn brown, but what it does do is it does capture um, heat 88% more than than carbon dioxide. Yeah. That's methane. So when we think about natural gas, it's methane. Yeah. Yeah. That's what what you're burning. You're putting methane in your house. Right. And the biggest biggest thing about natural gas is the fugitive emissions. So that is emissions that escape between the pump house and your house Mm. just through pipes and cracks and stuff Mm. like that, like tons of emissions. Mm. No, it's fascinating and I, I don't know, I just personally like to learn about all this stuff and, yeah, do what I can to, to make it better. Yeah, well, you know, you have a great podcast and, uh, and that's good, you know. That's well, I think, good. you know, we can use our platform for good. Um, you know, someone accused me for being too woke. Um, <laughs> so I don't want to be accused of being too woke, uh, but it, it's just good to use the platform for good. And actually, while I got you, because you're and, – and the reason I want to ask you these things – is just from a, a personal learning because you're in news. Like you, your podcast is reading news, right? And making light and entertainment and all that newsy stuff. Yep. Uh, the voice to parliament that's coming up with the referendum. Yeah. You hear people saying, vote no, vote no. Like why would you vote no if there's no harm done by yes vote? That's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a that's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe I don't know. I don't yeah. know why you do that. Essentially, there isn't any harm. Like it's it's a group of people who want to advocate a First Nations perspective on policy to have their say about what happens to them. Um, where traditionally they have never really had a significant sway or um, a voice, a if voice, you will, a voice. Yeah. Mm. Um, and the reason, look, the reason why it's got to be constitutional is so it can't be removed because there have been bodies in the past that have been made, but then successive governments have moved it with legislation, deleted, deleted yep. them out of existence. Yep. 
And so this is a, a chance to rectify that, put in the constitution so it can't actually be removed. So in practicalities, for those who have heard what it's about, it basically means there is a body or a group of First Nations people that the government of the day can consult about issues. Yeah, that are related to First Nations issues. So yeah. 25 to 30 people um, from all around the states. Each major state has three, two that represent, you know, urban uh, points of view uh, and one representing regional areas uh, and they come together to consult mm. on on issues that are pertinent to them and I think it's I think it's really cool I think it's a great way to kind of move together as a country and it's a great way to progress this country further down the route of uh, treaty you know as a as a way to reconcile differences um, between where Australia is now and what has happened in the past. And mm. I said, I think this is an interesting and compelling first step to a treaty and then truth telling. And I think that's, I think it's, I think the movement is super interesting. There are a lot of First Nations people who are skeptical of it and so they should be. And there's a lot of grassroots First Nations folks who want just to jump straight to treaty. And I think that's great too. Um, I don't know whether Australia's ready to jump straight to a treaty. I think that would be, I think it's really ambitious, but I really admire the, I really admire the movement for asking for that. So mm. I think it, I think it's compelling. I think it's really compelling. And um, I don't want to speak for Aboriginal people, but I, as a, as a, as a white person, as a settler living on colonised land, I think it's, um, I think it's really good. Mm. Well, I just think if it does no harm, what's the problem? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It, it shouldn't do any harm. You know, it's mm. not, it's just, and politicians can take the advice or, mm. or do like what they do yeah, with the, most advice. The, well, they're not it. bound to the advice. No, the only thing they're bound to is donors from fossil fuel companies. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You got to get the money while the money's good. Gosh. So the way our parliament is set up, the way our representatives are set up, lobbying does have a huge amount of sway on the hill. Like you can register to become a lobbyist and you get a you get a You know what we need? We need someone to come in and drain our swamp. <laughs> <laughs> well what if I what if I told you, Glenn James, that Canberra wasn't initially a swamp. They made a swamp <laughs> to put <Yeah>. the capital. <laughs> they said, let's dam this, let's dam this river and make a swamp. <laughs> Canberra, what a place. What a place. Well, we've had a bit of a yarn. Look, I know it was a bit of a different episode today, everyone and you know, I, we did try and touch on a bit of the person behind the uh, the rational fear microphone and the person, but hey, we had a chat. That's hey, for sure. Uh, this this sounds like a C grade podcast. The way you're selling it, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> now, yeah, yeah, tell, that's right. yeah. Let, let's just keep this moving. Tell us about your live shows. Yeah, we're doing uh, Rational Fear live around Australia. We've got the Adelaide Fringe coming up in a couple of days, uh, a March 4 at the Adelaide Fringe. We've got a great show, Gabby Bolt, Alice Fraser, Andrew Hansen from The Chaser. I think we've even got the Attorney General of South Australia on the wow. show, which is really great. We're going to talk more about The Voice at that show. Then we've got Melbourne Comedy Festival, April 2nd, Grace Tame, That's What I Reckon, Sammy Shah, uh, and uh, Vijarajan and a whole bunch of others, Lewis Hobber also. And uh, then we've got our show at World Science Festival in Brisbane, March 26. It's Vegas. Yeah. Mark Humphreys, Lewis Hobber, Mel Buttle, and we've got this woman who is a Brisbane native who worked on the JWST, the James Webb Space Telescope, and she is currently the head of the Exoplanet 
Habitat Wow. Uh, for NASA and she's going to be on the show. So it's really exciting. I'm, I'm super excited to have her. So what type of person or what, the, what are the demos that listen to Irrational Fear? Not very many, as yeah, I explained. Like, eight so people a terrible audience. Yeah, yeah. So of the eight people, like is it, what age is it mainly? I, I think we're, I think we're 30 to 50. Yeah, right. Uh, and... Uh, it's people who are interested in comedy, politics, and climate change. Does, does the ABC own your podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, and I'd quite, I'd, you know, here's the thing, Glenn. I'd quite happily sell it to someone, yeah. <laughs> so I don't have to maintain this business. I just, I, I just like being lit and amplified. That's yeah. what I like to do. That's I, my business. I did an April Fool's last year in my Facebook group yeah. that um, I, the podcast is changing, and I've actually sold, <laughs> and I sold to Afterpay. <laughs> and what did I, it's my phone lit up. <laughs> That's great. Like it all was you're talking about consumer debt. <laughs> hey, I can be bought, baby. I can be bought. <laughs> I can be bought too. And if Chevron has the right price, exactly. I will charge a carbon premium. And I wonder how I could spin it. Like if Afterpay are like, oh, we want to buy your podcast, I'd be like, oh, no, I can't. But how much? Uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe if, like if we do something like if they gave me like ten million dollars, we donate five to charity, right. offset it. The uh, the Glenn James Foundation. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, it's it's all fun. I'm not going anywhere, everyone. To some people's disgust. Well, you know, Glenn, I love your podcast. I love your team. I love the voices you have on all of your shows. They're so good, mm. and they helped me. All the listening to your podcast relentlessly mm. helped me get back onto a financial footing. Well, I just want to be the, you know, the oranges at halftime. You know, <laughs> you go out there, you live in your life, you come halftime, recharge, encouragement, focus, get back out on the field. Yeah, now I'm financially stable. I probably never listen to another podcast again of yours. No, I had a, someone said to me at a cafe last year, they're like, "Oh, hey, I used to listen to your podcast," <laughs> and my friend laughed. I'm like, "He's like, no, no, we bought our house, and then I was done. I'm like, awesome, that's what it's oh, about. That's great. That's so yeah. good. That's so good. Come in, use me, abuse me, and piss off. Does the does your title, my millennial money? as the main podcast, really aid you? Have you have you considered losing the millennial? Uh, yeah, I, I had toyed for a while about changing the name to More Than Money. Right. Because everything's about, it's more than money, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's, like every, it's never about the money. Like, uh, But the problem I've got, you know, you live by the sword, die by the sword, all that stuff. The brand My Millennial Money, it's too strong in market. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So... Yeah. Yeah. Um, Look, I, I don't know. I um, it, it does age us a little bit, but we've got, you know, I don't really talk millennial. Like, I, I guess I'll say I talk millennial because I am a millennial. Yeah. But like but we've I've, got Gen Z listening. We've got 18, 17-year-olds listening. We've got, well, they, they were listening before I was saying I was a righty boomer. Like we do have people <laughs> over 55 who are listening. Yeah. So it, the name doesn't really say what's on the label because there's actually with money – the same concepts apply to every age. Spend less than you earn, invest the rest. Spend less than you earn, invest the rest. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And that's the same for someone who's 57 still working or starting their career. Yep. So there you have it. Yeah. Dan Illich. And the, can I say the brand is strong in this house? I mean, you've got My Millennial Post. There's pictures of you everywhere know, in this house. I know. And I love your car. It's got a My Millennial bumper sticker on the back window. It's got all the goods. <laughs> it's got all the goods. <laughs> You should see my bedside table. Uh, you can't see this when you're when you're listening to the mic when you're listening. But Glenn James has my millennial money microphones in the color, the brand colors of my millennial money. Got to live it. 
and breathe it. And this media wall here, that was supposed to be the colour, but the printer didn't get it right. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's good. I like it. Anyway. It, it looks like a school uniform. It really does. <laughs> Dan Illich is the host of the A Rational Fear podcast. Give it a like, give it a subscribe, all that stuff. I promise more jokes on my podcast. And he will be funny. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're listening, I might come on one day and have a yarn about something. Yeah. All right. See you guys. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.